It's said that the greatest sculptors of all time, like Michelangelo, those kinds of craftsmen, created an image out of a block of marble by simply chipping away all of the pieces that didn't belong there. Sounds easy enough, right? As those being remade into the the image of our creator, we engage in this continual process of chipping away the pieces that don't belong. Pride, lust, greed, a bad temper, laziness, and the list could go on and on and on, right? We chip those things away from ourselves, revealing who we were created to be. Humble, loving, generous, kind, joyful, helpful. We reveal the likeness of Christ in us. I think it makes sense that that the more we desire to honor God, the more we desire to be less like ourselves and more like Him. I mean, you've heard it said before, I'm sure, that, that imitation is the best form of flattery, right? We honor God best by wanting to be like Him. And yet, if, if you've ever been in this process of, of the chipping away of that which doesn't belong, you know that the process isn't easy. You know that it's difficult. You know that it can be painful, that it demands sacrifice. It requires we give up something that we have held on to that was important to us. But if you've been through this process, you also know that sometimes once we have gotten rid of something, it's easy for us to take it back. It's easy for us to say, well, maybe we could, we could find how this could fit into my life somewhere. And it never works, does it? But if we can get rid of those things, most of us would say that we are better for it. Even in in broader culture, we understand this. The hard work to lose weight or to become better physically fit with exercise. Who loves exercise? One person does. (laughs) Well, you can all, there's your coach right there, right? But discipline really is, we understand discipline as, as that which we do that we don't want to do to get the results that we really want, right? That's what a discipline is all about. Lent is a six-week season in which historically Christians have fasted. You love that word, don't you? We give something up. Traditionally, it's been food, but it really can be be anything in our life that we have put a lot of value on. I was thinking about this and, and thinking, what do I put a lot of value on? What should I give up? And I decided it wouldn't be a good idea to give up my wife or my kids, okay? I value them, but we're talking about different kinds of valuable kinds of things, right? Just, just in case you were wondering there. But what is valuable to you? What is it that you give up? In this season, much like exercise is a discipline, doing the hard things because the results are worth it, fasting is a spiritual discipline. 
The practice of fasting is helpful in at least three key ways. I'm sure there's more, but let me run through these three real quickly. First, it reminds us that we are mortal. We're all going to die. Isn't that a good reminder? The fast begins with Ash Wednesday, you know, and, and some will even take ash on Ash Wednesday and they'll put the shape of the cross with the ash on their foreheads. It's a reminder that from dust we were created to dust we will return. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's good for us to be reminded that we are mortal because we need to know life is temporary. Every day is a gift. Make it count. Fasting during Lent is a reminder. You are mortal. Secondly, the fast reminds us that we can say no to sin. It's a practice of saying no to the desires of the flesh. That's what fasting is. As I train myself to say no to things like food, I train myself to say no to things like sin. When the, when the desires of my flesh think that, that, that my flesh has to have that, I've already trained my flesh in the practice of saying no because I've fasted. I've learned to say no to what my flesh wants. I have learned to say, flesh, you don't have to have everything that you want. By Christ's power at work within me, I can say no to sin. That's an important piece of the fast. Thirdly, the fast reminds us that God is present and powerful. When your natural desires want to be comforted, you know, with giving in to the appetites, and you say no, you're reminded that you need more than anything in this life, more than bread, what you need is God. When I'm tempted to think that giving in to my desires will be satisfying, I am reminded that God's presence alone perfectly satisfies. And God's power, remember what Paul said, is made perfect in my weaknesses. The fast reminds us that God is present and powerful. Lent has been characterized as a journey. More specifically, this six weeks is a journey to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. So as we take up our cross and we follow Jesus, we remember that we'll all die. We're mortal. Like Jesus and how he was tempted, we say, not my will, but yours be done, Father. We can learn to say no to sin. And we can learn that God's presence is with us through the deepest and darkest days of life. His power is sufficient to transform our trials into something glorious, specifically a resurrection one day. God is present and powerful. The more we practice giving up natural desires, the better we get at giving up sinful desires. And the more we give up sinful desires, they are chipped away, the more the image that God is forming in us becomes clear. And that's a pretty awesome thing, right? 
I mean, that's something to celebrate for sure. What, what God is doing in our life and, and the image of Christ that is being fashioned in us. Unfortunately, what sometimes happens is we begin to, to take pride in all that we have chipped away. And, and we take pride in, in how good we look now. And we forget why we started the journey in the first place. What once started as humbly wanting to honor God and follow Christ with our whole heart can turn into arrogantly judging others who don't seem to be as far along in the restoration process as we believe we are. That's called legalism. And it's in part the subject of the passage for today. Let's look at the passage for today. Mark chapter 2 begins beginning at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now maybe you, you hear this and you think, well, this is really interesting. We're talking about fasting, and this passage is actually saying that, that Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. Well, I want to assure you that Jesus fasted. Remember the, the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness before starting his public ministry. The Lenten fast is 40 days because Jesus' fast was 40 days. We fast because Jesus fasted. We also know that, that he taught his disciples to fast because he, he gave them these instructions. He, he said in Matthew chapter 6, basically, he said, when you fast, don't make a spectacle of yourself. Do it for God. These are actually his words that he said to them. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In your fasting, remember why you fast. Your fasting is to be between you and God. It's to honor Him and become more like Him. It's useful to you. It's useful to remind you that you are mortal, that you aren't God. It's for you to learn how to say no to the flesh so that you can say no to sin. It can be useful to call you back to the presence and the power of God at work in your life. Fasting is not for you to be seen as religious among your friends, okay? In fact, most of the time, there is no reason for people to even know that you are fasting. So if, you are, if you're fasting, and someone who doesn't know that you're fasting offers you a sandwich, what do you do? 
you have a couple of options, right? You kindly deny and say, oh, I'm good, thanks. And if you take that option, I want you to, uh, I want to encourage you not to follow it up with, I'm fasting. All right? Right? I mean, because really, why would you say that I'm fasting? If it weren't A, you want others to know how good of a person you are. Or B, it could be this. You don't want to offend someone who has offered hospitality to you. Okay? Now, what if they want to offer hospitality to you and you don't want to offend someone? Well, you still have one other option. You eat the sandwich. Surprised? But, but I'm fasting. Remember why you fast. And eat that sandwich to the glory of God and love for neighbor. Are you getting this? Does this make sense? In your fasting, remember why you fast. Don't let it become a law that trumps the law to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. It was apparently obvious to to the disciples of John and the Pharisees It was obvious that the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. I'm not sure why that was so obvious, but for some reason, some knew or at least assumed that Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. Some wanted to know, why aren't your disciples fasting, Jesus? But I wonder if those who were fasting were asking the question, why they were fasting. Do we understand why we fast? Why do you fast? Uh, everybody else is doing it. <laughs> it's Lent. Uh, my church is doing this sacred invitation thingy. Maybe you realize you fast because you want to somehow prove to God that you're more than a nominal Christian. I don't know. Maybe you fast to prove to somebody else what you are. Why do you fast? The, the question, why don't your disciples fast, may be a fine question to ask yourself if you aren't fasting. You know, why am I not fasting? But if you are fasting, ask yourself, why do I fast? Is it to honor God? Is it for what I can learn? Is it for the practice of learning to say no to sin, to practice His presence and His power more fully in my life? In your fasting, Remember why you fast. Secondly, in your fasting, be careful not to judge. I've written this down. Help people be formed into Christ's image, not your image. Let me explain what I'm saying there. The disciplines we use to develop our relationship with God um, are for our relationship with God. Okay, that's why we have these disciplines. Fasting, as well as the other disciplines, worship, prayer, Bible reading, all the other disciplines, are a means of grace, God's grace, to form the righteousness of Christ in us. 
The disciplines are not for the purpose, let me say it again, of reinforcing our self-righteousness. Right? It seems from the, from the text that we read here that those who were fasting weren't merely following a strict interpretation of, of the law, but they were actually adding to it. Now understand, there is, there is nothing wrong with adding to the law. It's, there's nothing wrong in doing more than the law requires, right? What becomes sinful is when we do more than the law requires and then demand others do that as well. And then judge them if they don't. God is chipping away at you, right? Revealing some things that need to be removed in your life. and You're being responsive to Him, I hope. He's forming something of beauty. Let him do the work in you. But I think what we oftentimes like to do is we start like, we, we, we like to start chipping away on other people. Let me show you what you really need to change in your life. If you just do this or you just do that. Now, this, this is a gray area here because we are supposed to help people develop in their Walk with Christ, right? That's really what the church is all about. Let's encourage one another towards the likeness of Christ. But often, our chipping away at others and telling them that, you know, you need to change this, you need to change that, it is not forming in them the likeness of Christ. What it is doing in them is trying to form them into our own image. Jesus once said this about the Pharisees. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Those little boxes that they would put on the foreheads or on their left arm, you know, that have scrolls of Scripture in them. They'd make them really huge so people could see. Look at this. They make the tassels on their garments really long. Look, I'm a Pharisee. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues, Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. What's he saying there? You're trying to fashion people into your image rather than into the image of God. We often, like these who, who question Jesus about fasting, mistakenly believe that our actions will make us holy. And listen, if we believe their actions will make us holy, we will try to change other people's actions so that they can be holy. But all we have done with that is make them like us not like Christ. Because holiness is rooted in love, not behavior. Holiness is rooted in love, not behavior. The, the term holiness, I think it's gotten a bad rap. You know, unfortunately, many equate holiness with a segment of people who stand above everyone else in their self-righteousness and their judgmental legalism. 
That's because holiness has incorrectly been connected to one's actions rather than one's heart. How many of you know that getting the actions right doesn't mean the heart is right? I'm reminded of of the three-year-old little girl who was misbehaving and her, her mom told her, sit down. And the little girl said, no. And just remained standing. Second time, sit down. No. Third time, you sit down or you're going to bed early tonight. <sighs> girl defiantly sits down, but then blurts out, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. We can relate to that, can't we? We can relate to that. Our actions may be right, but our heart might be wrong. And holiness is rooted in the heart, in love, not behavior. You get the actions right, that does not say anything about your heart. But you get the heart right, your behavior will follow, won't it? That's what holiness is. And we've got we've to remember that, that it's about the heart. Holiness is a matter of the heart and righteousness is the result. When the righteous actions are present with an unloving heart, all you are capable of is self-righteousness. And judgment and legalism are always the result. People don't need us to fix their behavior. They need us to point them to Jesus whose love can change their heart a stone into something holy. So in your spiritual growth, be careful that you don't judge others. Be careful of chipping away their rough edges so that they look more like you. Focus on what, what work does God need to do in me and, can, can, and continue to point others to an encounter with God. You can't make anyone love God any more than you can make anyone love you. Have you ever tried to do that? I mean, it's, it's good to try. Do all kinds of nice things for them. But you can't make them love you. We can't make anyone love God. It's always an individual's choice. Will I love? And you have that decision to make too. Only you can decide to love God. Let your fasting and the other disciplines of the faith deepen your love for God. In your fasting, remember why you fast. Be careful not to judge. And third, in your fasting, don't forget to feast. There it is. In your fasting, don't 
forget to feast. There are times to fast and there are times to feast. Think Christmas. Think Thanksgiving. Those are not fast days, are they? Uh Uh-uh. Bring out the pumpkin pie, right? They are feast days. There are days to fast and there are days to feast. The Israelites had a lot of feast days, days to celebrate and eat a lot of great food. And weddings then and still are days of such celebration. They're feast days. And Jesus explains there is, there is a time to fast and there is a time to feast. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? You don't fast on a day that is supposed to be a day of celebration. I loved reading in the, uh, in the Sacred Invitation devotional, the, the author speaks of, of how it was as inappropriate to fast on a feast day as it was to feast on a fast day. That was good for me to hear. Jesus explained that his, his disciples were not fasting because it was a time to feast. The Messiah was in their presence. God incarnate. They were hanging out with him. I mean, bring out the mashed potatoes and steak, you know. This is a time to celebrate. But there were others who, while they were diligently carrying out the law of the fast, they completely missed God in their midst. The disciples of John and the the disciples of the Pharisees were fasting because they didn't see a reason to feast. And we also can miss it. The disciplines are, are not an end in themselves. They are meant to help us see God. Jesus said, there is a time to fast. There's a time to feast. There's a time to fast. He said, once the bridegroom is taken away from them on that day, they will fast. Well, guess what? The bridegroom has been taken away. He was killed and buried. And so we fast, remembering our own mortality. But he defeated death (laughs) and was raised on the third day. So we feast with the knowledge that death has no eternal power on those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Isn't that reason to feast? The bridegroom has been taken away, so we fast. But he has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, and better than that, in us. So we feast. The bridegroom has been taken away, so we fast. But in the midst of the fast, we can feast because we, re- we remember that there is a great banquet that is being prepared for us, the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And it's going to be better than any feast you've ever had. So we feast in the middle of the fast. We are reminded in in both the fast and the feast of a God who longs to redeem us, to come close to us, 
to cleanse us and to make us holy. In your fasting, don't forget to feast. Did you know that for the Christian, we have a regular feast day? Every week we have a feast day. It's called Sunday. The Lord's Day, Resurrection Day, is a feast day. It's a day that we we gather to worship our resurrected Lord and rehearse the truth of His coming again. We we gather together to remember the defeat of Satan and the darkness and of darkness and evil and the restoration of all creation. That's why we gather. And even though Lent is traditionally a time to fast, it isn't without times to feast. We've said it already. You know this. Lent is a fast of 40 days. But it's actually a season that is longer than 40 days. Because if you count up the days between Ash Wednesday all the way up to the Saturday before Easter, April 3rd would be that Saturday this year, you end up with not 40 days, you end up with 46 days. Why 46 and not 40? Because there are 40 fast days and there are six Sundays. There are six feast days. Did you know that? In your fasting, don't forget to feast. God wants to be present with you. He wants to show you that he is with you. Even in the dark days, we rehearse that he is with us. Even in the dark days, we remember that this is not the end. He is coming again. (laughs) Jesus' disciples didn't fast because Jesus was with them. And in the same way, we feast because of the hope we have in the confidence that Christ has come. We feast because the hope we have in Christ's resurrection brings us to this place of feasting. We feast because of the hope of Christ's return. But we fast as well because the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. We fast as a means to reveal those areas that still need to be chipped away in us. That we might reveal the image of Christ in our lives. We fast in order to make space in our lives for, for God to speak into our lives. We fast to to make room for the unusual ways that God may want to break into our world. We fast, not out of shame or guilt or or the sense of trying to earn God's love, but out of an understanding of our need to know the presence and the power of the God who loves us so much. 